All right, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Last week, we talked about gospel partnerships. We talked about how Paul planted this church in Philippi, and, and this church was supporting Paul. They were financially supporting Paul. They, they were praying for Paul. Paul was praying for them. They were encouraging, or Paul was encouraging them. There was mutual encouragement, support, prayer. There was this connection because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was a diverse church. And so there was this connection and this unity based on the gospel of Jesus. The, there were brothers and sisters that were brought into the family of God through Paul's ministry of proclaiming the gospel. And so we looked at Paul's prayer last week for the Philippians that their love would abound more and more. Uh, we looked at the, the partnership uh, in the gospel and what that looks like. This week, we're going to look at the, the, the idea of the gospel advancing, gospel advancement is the title of my message. And we're going to look at Paul's perspective. We're going to look at Paul's purpose and Paul's passion. Verse 12, and if you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the, de- for the defense of the gospel. The former Proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed and that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, I I said that this is uh, one of the sunniest epistles that the Apostle Paul has. There is a very positive tone in this epistle, even in the midst of imprisonment and affliction. 
and folks trying to do stuff mean to the Apostle Paul, there's this positive outlook, this positive perspective, one of joy. And joy is one of the key themes throughout this epistle. Joy in the gospel. Because of the gospel, the good news of great joy. And here's the big idea. This is where we're going today from the text. The gospel will advance even in the face of opposition. And this is a reason to rejoice and not lose heart. The gospel is going to move forward. It's going to advance even in the face of opposition. Even in the the face of persecution and imprisonment and and even death. The gospel is going to spread. It's, It's interesting that... Throughout history, when persecution has come to the church and affliction has come to the church and the enemy and the world has tried to stamp out the gospel and stop the gospel and, and stamp out the church and, and, and annihilate the church, it just Christianity just seems to spread more and more as the fire of persecution gets turned up. It's like wildfire just... You know, more and more people become Christians. Like, like in China. You know, there's persecution in China and then it just, Christianity just seems, seems to just spread more and more even through the death of other Christians. It's been said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Through Christians dying for the gospel's sake and doing what, exactly what Jesus did, that it actually advances the kingdom. That, that it, the gospel actually spreads through people who are willing to lay down their lives for this message. And the apostle Paul was an example. He was following in the footsteps of Jesus who took up his own cross, who was, who was living on mission, who was about the father's business. He was doing the father's will and he was able to say at the end of his life, father, I have glorified you here on earth. I've glorified you here on earth. I have finished the work that you've given me to do. And we, don't we want to be able to say that at the end of our lives? And don't we want to hear from our Lord, well done, good and faithful servant? We do. We long for that. So here's, here's Paul's perspective. Paul's perspective is verse 12. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's perspective led him to have joy and stay the course in the face of affliction and imprisonment. Now remember, this church started when, when Paul and Silas were thrown into jail and beaten. Okay? This just seems to be a trend throughout Paul's ministry and life. He's just getting beat down, thrown in jail. Uh, people are attacking him, coming at him. And what are, what are they doing? Acts 16 verse 25, Paul and Silas were chained up after having been beaten and they're praying and singing hymns to God in the midst of persecution and God causes an earthquake. And, and the jailer and the people in his household get saved and the Philippian church gets started. Okay, so that happened to Paul when he first planted that church. But then uh, ten, 10 years later or so, this has continued to happen to Paul. Things like this, right? And this time he was in prison and he was writing from a, a jail in Rome. He was, he, he had, he wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, not as a prisoner. Okay, he wanted to go bring the gospel to Rome. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. Okay. 
like Jesus, but he also wanted to go to Rome because Rome was uh, the, the superpower of the day. In the first century, Rome was... They had basically conquered the whole world, right? So they were, they were in power and Rome had influence. And so Paul wanted to reach cities, plant churches and in influential cities so that the gospel would spread. And there was this system, the Roman roads that would go throughout the world, paved roads that had been created. It's been said all roads lead to Rome. Right. And, and, and so there was this system, traveling system that was set up to where the gospel could go out effectively from that place. And Paul wanted the gospel to go there, uh, but he probably wasn't planning on going there as a prisoner. Probably didn't want that necessarily. But he says, I want you to know, brothers, perhaps the Philippians were discouraged. Like, like man, brother, Paul's in jail again. Like, God, why, why are you letting him go to jail? What's he doing wrong? He's serving you. He's being faithful. Why is he in jail, God? And, and Paul's writing them saying, I want you to know this has actually been good. It's been good for the advancement of the gospel because the gospel's going forth. It's advancing more people. Look at verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Christ's fame, the fame of Jesus' name, was spreading to the most influential places in the world at this time through Paul's imprisonment. And, verse 14, And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Courage is uh, contagious, isn't it? So is fear, by the way. Fear will spread like the spies, the Israelite spies who went to spy out the land. They doubted. They were afraid. Like, no, we can't do this. They had their their, their eyes on the circumstances versus their eyes on the, their big God, their great God, except for a couple of them. Paul had his eyes fixed on Jesus. He was surrendered to the will of the Father. And he had a perspective. This is his perspective here. That God is, God is bigger. God is sovereign. God is working and the gospel's gonna go forth even through affliction, even through adversity. And so he says, you know, I, I can rejoice in this, that the gospel's going forward. This led him to, to stay the course. By the way, if you're going through some trials right now in your life and things are hard, this is what you need. You need God's perspective. James tells us, when you're going through trials, count it all joy. That's easier said than done, right? Count it all joy, my beloved brothers, when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's easy to quote. But, but to actually do when you're, when the, in the heat of trials is turned up, when you're in the oven and it's you, and it's your health that's being Attacked. It's your finances that you're, you're struggling in, or it's your relationships, your marriage, your children, your job that you just lost or it became harder. It's harder to do, right? To rejoice in those times. But, but what James tells us and what Paul had here, James says, if you, if you're in that, ask for wisdom. Ask for God to give you his perspective on this whole thing because he's working something in you and there is a reward that will come from faithfulness. So you can be joyful. You can be confident. You can have courage even in the face 
of adversity, persecution. Paul goes on and he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That just sounds so sick. So, I mean, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. You're, you're talking about Jesus and you're, you're doing it out of motives of envy and rivalry? But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or whether in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I will rejoice. Wow. That's, that's a perspective that helped Paul to rejoice that, that, that Jesus' name and fame was being spread. And when his name and fame is being spread and when the gospel is advancing, people hear it, people believe it, and people get saved eternally, even through preachers who are preaching with impure motives. Now they may not get a reward for, for doing what they we did. That, that might be works that are burned up at the judgment. But God will still use the seed of the word regardless of how flawed and broken the, the farmer is or the preacher is sowing the seed of God's word. The power's in the seed of the word, right? I got a friend who got saved at Joel Olstein's church. <laughs> For real. Like when he told me, I was like, are you serious? Okay, let me, let, let's go through the gospel real quick. Make sure you understand this. He got saved at Joel Olstein's church. This, this brother went to seminary. He's a, he's a licensed counselor. He's a godly man, has a godly family. But God worked through that church. He, he, God can do that. God is sovereign when it comes to salvation. He can save anybody he wants. And he does it when Jesus' name is proclaimed, when the gospel's proclaimed. Now we want to make sure people get the message straight. And those of us who are getting it out, we want to make sure we're getting it straight. We're not distorting it here. But Paul said, I'm going to rejoice. Even if the motives are wrong that these guys are preaching Christ, uh, I'm, I'm rejoicing in that. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. If it was about Paul and building Paul's kingdom, he wouldn't be able to say it. And I rejoice. Because they're, they're, like, they're, they're like trying to afflict me. They're, they're trying to... My reputation is kind of getting hurt and getting hurt through uh through these guys and their their insincerity their their pretense um so this is a perspective that we need that god is working god is sovereign god is advancing the gospel though we may be chained up at some point the word of god is not chained the gospel will will move forward amen steve lawson has a little commentary and he says this he says paul lays his head on the pillow of the sovereignty of God, and he sleeps well on it. Paul lays his head on the pillow on the sovereignty of God, and he sleeps well on it. The idea that ultimately God is in charge, and God is working through all kinds of things to, for our good, to advance the gospel, for his glory, God is working, right? And so this helps us. The, the perspective of sovereignty helps us rejoice in our trials, in our persecution, in our affliction. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Nobody else reigns over all the earth. Nobody is ultimately in charge except the Lord himself. And in this we rejoice, especially as there are world leaders 
who get set up and put in place that kind of make us concerned about what's going on in the world. But the Lord reigns. We will rejoice in that. We can lay our head on the pillow of God's sovereignty and rest that while we're sleeping, he still has the whole world in his hands and we don't have to help him make sure he not drops it, right? He's still holding it all together. And so God's working. He's working through our waiting. As we sang this morning, a sovereign over us. You are working through our waiting. Look at verse uh, 19 here. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. God, God sovereignly works through means such as prayer and gospel proclamation. He works through people. He works through human actions and human choices, right? And Paul says, I know that through your prayers, Philippians, that, 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 and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this is actually going to turn out for my deliverance. So what does he mean here? Is he going to get out of jail? Because we know eventually he gets his head cut off, according to church history, right? Well, maybe. Or was he thinking, well, when I die, that's going to be my deliverance. Yeah? Either way, that's promised for us, and we can have confidence because God is sovereign and because he knows the end, the beginning from the end, we can have confidence. God can call the shots before they happen because he is not confined by time. He inhabits eternity. He, he, he can see the end from the beginning. He's sovereign. And you know what? He's given us a book that tells us the end of the story. We can read the end of the story. And you know what? I've read it. Many of you have read it. We know that we win. God wins. Christ wins in the end. And so we can rejoice in this. We can rejoice that there is victory ahead, that there's deliverance ahead, even if we lose our lives. We can have confidence that this will turn out for our deliverance. Look at what he says in verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This was Paul's purpose, to glorify Christ with his life. That's what mattered. Paul wasn't seeking comfort. He wasn't seeking the American dream. He wasn't seeking a bunch of likes on Facebook or followers on Twitter and Instagram. He wasn't seeking the approval and the praise of man. He was seeking to glorify Jesus Christ in his life, in his body, either while he's alive and doing what he was doing, laboring for the gospel's sake, or in his death, having his head cut off. God would be glorified in that. And so Paul was like surrendered and abandoned to the will of God. And, and really those, those who are ready, those who aren't ready to die, aren't ready to really live. Really live the abundant life, the fullness of life. We, we need to have our hearts prepared. We need this perspective that to live is Christ. To die is actually gain. And do you really believe that in your heart? To die, for, for you, Christian, to die is gain. In our hearts, in our heads, we may say, yeah, yeah, that's true. But in our hearts, many of us may say, that feels like a loss. I feel like I'm losing if I die right now. 
Paul says, for me, that's gain. Because I'm going to be with Jesus. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more pain. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And so I love that Paul's purpose, his aim, his goal, his priority and whatever he was doing was that Christ would be honored, glorified in him. That's what matters. That's what we're here for. We are here for something so much bigger than just ourselves, just our own happiness or just our own comfort. And, and, and by the way, God's glory and our happiness and joy aren't at odds with one another. I love John Piper's quote that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So our joy and satisfaction in him actually brings him glory. The Westminster, Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Y'all know it? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we're here for. That's what Paul says he was here for. To, to glorify God, to honor Him in His body. So he had this confidence, he had this courage because of the sovereignty of God, that there was deliverance ahead for him, that his future was bright. And again, he's writing this from a prison cell. You would think the encouragement needs to be going the other way, right? Like, hey, Paul, don't lose heart. It's going to be okay. You'll make it. God will deliver you. This isn't the end of your story. He's encouraging them. He's telling them to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. He's practicing what he preaches too. He did it when he first started the church and he's doing it here. He's rejoicing. He's giving them perspective and, and he's living for this purpose to glorify Jesus no matter what happens in his life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that true for you? Is it true for you that for you to live, if you get another year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you get a week to live. Is it for Christ? Are you, are, is your plan and your purpose and your thoughts and the way you're scheduling and the way you're prioritizing your life, is it Christ really? Would your spouse say it's Christ for me to live as Christ? Would your closest friends say, yeah, for, for him or her, it's to live as Christ? Or is it for you? And we want to be people who are sold out, who are purpose-driven, gospel-centered Focused on glorifying Jesus. We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I love this. This Paul's example is so powerful. Look at one of, uh, here's a great life verse. And, and this seems to be one of Paul's life verses. Like this, to, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Acts 20, 24, Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders and he's encouraging them and he knows he's not going to see them again. And they have, at the end of this talk, he's, they, they weep, hug each other. I mean, it's an emotional time. Um, but he says this in the midst of his exhortation to the Ephesian elders. He says, but I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The, getting the gospel out was more important to Paul than, than just living and being comfortable. More important than his own life. Is, it that, is that so for you? Paul's purpose and his aim was to to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel and by making disciples. 
He was a gospel proclaimer, and everywhere he went, he heralded the gospel, and it resulted to praise and honor and glory to God. Lastly, let's look at Paul's passion. Purpose produces passion, by the way. Purpose produces passion. Verse 22, he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that or the body, that means fruitful labor for me. More people impacted through the gospel message. More disciples made. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm kind of torn here, guys. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. love that. He's thinking about somebody else. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's passion was to know Christ and to make him known. YWAM, Youth with a Mission, one of the largest missionary organizations in the world, that's their their vision or mission statement, to know Christ and to make him known. It's a great one. It's a great aim in life. It's a great passion to have. And we'll, we hear this coming out more in Philippians chapter 3. Paul counted everything, all his achievements in life as dung. No, you got your bachelor's degree, your master's degree, your doctorate, your PhD. It's dung. It's all dung. All, all my righteousness, all my achievements, everything, it's all dung compared to the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what matters most. That's what Paul was passionate about, was knowing Jesus and making Him known. His desire was to depart and be with Christ. So if he were to die, it would be gain because he would be immediately in the presence of God where there's no more chains, no more sickness, no more sorrow, where there is a world of perfect love awaiting for the saints, a world of everlasting joy, a world that doesn't have hurricanes and tornadoes that destroy our homes, a world where we don't have bodies that get sick and break down and die, a world where there's not war and famine and injustice and racism, a perfect world of love. That's what awaits us. And, that, and the, most, the best thing about that world is that we get Jesus. We get to be with Jesus. We get to know Him more deeply and fully than we ever have. We'll see Him face to face. Those of you who are married and you went on a honeymoon, you may have went to a great place like Hawaii or uh, you know South America somewhere, New Zealand or whatever. The best part of the honeymoon is that you get to be with your spouse, your love, right? Not just that you get to go to this great place. That's nice, but what would it be like to go to that great place without them? It wouldn't be worth it, right? And in heaven, we don't just get all the streets of gold and all the the, the, the pleasant things about heaven. We get Jesus. That's what's... That's our greatest joy. In His presence is the fullness of joy. That's what what matters most, isn't it? We get Jesus. We get Jesus then, but we get Jesus now. And we want to live for Jesus now. We want to give Him glory now. We want to lay down our lives for Him now because He's worth it. When we get to heaven, there's one thing you can't do in heaven. What is it, guys? Y'all know this. 
you evangelize, preach the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Because if you're in heaven, you know Jesus. You got salvation through grace, by grace through faith, right? But right now, you and I have an opportunity to be God's agents, God's God's messengers of that good news. And we get to join in with what God's doing to have an eternal impact in somebody's life by communicating with our words the gospel message, them hearing it, believing, calling upon the name of Jesus, and being saved eternally. We get to do that here. And Paul says, you know, that's, that's, I want, you know, I'm torn. I want to go be with Jesus. See you guys later. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. See y'all later. Right? He wanted, he wanted to go fly away and be with Jesus, but you know what? He, he was also thinking about the Philippians. He was also thinking about the disciples that Jesus had called him to make here on earth. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy. I love this. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about them. When you're in affliction, when you're sick and you're going through a hard time, it's not, it's not in our nature. We're naturally, we don't think about ourselves when we're going through affliction. Some of us are like little babies when we get sick or when we're afflicted or we start feeling some pain. We're, we're not thinking about anybody else's joy or comfort or what's going on. We're like, Oh, you know, can I get some soup and some Sprite and some chips or let me alone. I'm going to take a nap. Right. We, 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 we tend to be inward in our focus. Jesus was washing his disciples feet as he's going to the cross. And his soul is starting to feel the pressure of what's about to happen. Paul here, he's in prison. He's, you know, he knows that, that there's hard things that have happened and he has hard things ahead of him. And he's still thinking about others. He's thinking about their growth and their progress and their becoming more like Jesus and knowing Jesus more and them being uh, effective and, and effective gospel witnesses. But you have this, this joy that is unshakable in Paul. You couldn't stomp this guy out. He must have frustrated his enemies. Those who wanted to stop him, those who wanted to, to keep him from proclaiming the gospel, uh, those who wanted to frustrate Paul's plans. I mean, just think if you were one of those guys and you were trying to stop Paul and they're like, well, we're going to kill you. Well, that's gain. I'll, I get to go be with Jesus. Well, we're, we're going to let you live. Well, that means more fruitful labor for me. More people's lives are going to be impacted well well we're gonna we're gonna preach the gospel with impure motives and we're gonna try to tear down your your reputation well christ is being proclaimed i rejoice in this you know people are going to get saved through the proclamation of the gospel and so paul had this perspective that's what we need when we're going through trials we need god's perspective we need to ask for it and we need to live our lives with purpose and abandon ourselves to the purposes of God to glorify Him in our bodies, in life, in death, with all that we are. That's our reasonable act of worship, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. An application here, I just want to encourage us to ask for this. Ask for God's perspective in your circumstances and to seek his eternal perspective in his word. Pray. If you're going through a trial, if you're going through hard times, 
Ask God for wisdom. Ask God to give you a perspective from heaven. Because when you're surrounded by affliction and trials and pain, sometimes it's hard to see around you and to see the bigger picture. And you need God's God's wisdom. You need God to give you that download. God to lift you up and see things from up here, not down here in the midst of your pain and your struggle, right? So we need to ask for that. And we need to seek it in His Word. And we'll find stuff like this in Philippians 1. We'll find stuff like uh, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 4 where, where Paul says, you know, this light and momentary affliction is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Or Romans 8, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And he just goes on about the victory that we have that lies ahead of us. And then find biblical reasons to rejoice in the face of your adversity and hardships. You're going through a hard time right now? Find a biblical reason to rejoice. There, there are reasons to rejoice. Uh, what's the, what's the old joke about the pessimists and the optimists? They were both put into a room full of um, manure and one of them just started complaining about this stinks this is terrible what, what are we doing here the, op- the 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 pessimist was complaining the optimist he was just diving in just like he was just having a blast like he was all excited in a room full of manure and the the pessimist says what are you doing what are you doing he says, man, with all this manure around here, there's got to be a horse or a cow or something around here in this room. <laughs> so find the positive, find a perspective from God that's, that's true, that's solid, a promise of God, something that God has said, and build your life upon it. Hope in Him, trust in Him. That he's going to bring deliverance. He's going to answer your prayer. He's going to bring you through whatever trial you're going through. And it's actually going to be for your good. God brings us through tests and trials not to destroy us, but to bring out the best in us. Okay? And, and to advance his gospel and to spread the glory of his name throughout the world. I heard Tony Evans saying, you know, the, the way that God tests us versus um, the way the enemy tempts us with sin and God tests us to bring the best out in us. Um, Tony Evans describes it as like a, a, a car manufacturer, like maybe Ford. Uh, the way that they test their own cars is to, to prove and show the strength and the durability of the Ford pickup truck, right? All right, but the way that they would test test a Toyota or a, or a Honda would be to expose the weaknesses of that other vehicle, right? And God works; He tests us to to develop Christ likeness. He's working in us; He's shaping us. This is a reason to rejoice. Count it all joy, my beloved brothers. Knowing uh, when you fall in the various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right? It's producing perseverance. God is shaping your character into the image of Jesus. He's conforming you into Jesus. You're in the fire because God is, He allowed it and He has plans for it. It's not to destroy you. It's not to harm you. He's good. His intentions are good and He's going to bring good out of it and you can trust that He will. And you can trust that, that the gospel is going to go forward. And so there are many reasons for us to rejoice no matter what we're going through. And there's always somebody else that's going through a lot harder time than you are. 
So don't have a pity party about whatever your circumstances are. Rejoice in the Lord always. I know it's easier said than done, but there are reasons that you can rejoice in the Lord. Lots of good ones. 10,000 reasons for your heart to find. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Lastly, discover your purpose and give yourself to living a purpose-driven life. Do you know what you're here for? Do you live your life with a sense of confidence and purpose and intentionality? You know what God's created you for and you're doing it. Do you know it? And do you know it and you're not doing it? Or do you know it and you're doing it? Because that is the most fulfilling way to live your life. That's the abundant life. You're giving yourself to doing the will of God. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. It's like food. It nourishes us. It's satisfying. It's delightful. The will of God for us is good and pleasing, acceptable. So let's embrace it. Let's run hard after God. Amen? Kevin, would you come on up and lead us in Let It Be Jesus? I'd like for us to respond this morning. This song was taken from Philippians 1. Let it be Jesus for me to live as Christ. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And as we sing this song, if you need prayer for anything, um, we'd love to love to pray for you. If you're in the fire and you need brothers and sisters to stand with you as you're going through the fire and pray for you, we want to do that with you. So Lord, thank you that you're good and you reign over all. And everything that comes our way in life is filtered by you, our good and gracious Heavenly Father. And you will not let it ultimately destroy us. You will develop us through it, shape us and mold us, and bring glory to your name in doing so.